Psalm chapter 63. You may have some type of a heading on the top of yours uh, of that psalm that says something to the effect that it's the God who satisfies. I want to talk this morning about helping hands of prayer. Um, It's amazing how many times in my own life, and we just heard another testimony of it, is that when we try to do things in our own strength, and our own might, and our own ability, and our own wisdom, our own knowledge, how many times it just falls apart. It doesn't work. And then you get to that point, almost in frustration or desperation, you say, I give up, I quit. God, you deal with it. And God's just like, thank you, I've been waiting for you to get there. (laughs) And uh, allowing me to do it. And I can remember in my own life, uh, when we were in Pennsylvania, I had a plan for my life. I don't know if you've ever had a plan for your life, but I had a plan for my life. And my plan was uh, to graduate from Bible college, to go on to our first ministry, spend two years there, and then going to go into another ministry, and boom, boom, boom. So I had this plan laid out. The only problem is my plan wasn't necessarily God's plan. And I kind of had this idea that God would just kind of put a stamp of approval upon it because that's what I wanted him to do. And uh, so I remember uh, after completing two years of uh, teaching in this little Christian school, the administrator came to me and says, you don't want your contract for next year, do you? And I said, no. He says, uh, okay, no problem. He said, I just need to know because he said, if you're not coming back, he said, I need to make sure that there's another teacher in place for the, the following year. And I said, go for it. I know this is what God's done in my life. So the school year ended... And here I was looking for my next job before I had it, which is always stupid, um, giving up one before you have another one. And uh, But I was you know, young and know-it-all, I guess, a little bit to some extent. But we're trying to figure out life. And there was only one problem. I told him no. He hired a person to take my spot. He gave my job away. And then all of a sudden, the next month, three businesses in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, let out. Between the three businesses, 5,000 people were without jobs. And so my idea of finishing up the school year, getting a temporary job, and then moving into whatever God had for us, yeah, that was Ken Todd's plan that went horribly south. Um, I couldn't get a job flipping burgers at Burger King. I mean, there was nothing available. When 5,000 people lose their jobs in a town of 10,000, there was nothing available anywhere. And so for the next month, I'm trying everything within my might, everything within my power, everything within any ounce of control that I thought I might have had to figure out what I was going to do next. And I'm telling you what, I started to hate life. I'm sure my wife has never really said a whole lot about it, but I'm sure I was a miserable jerk to live with. I was uh, doing dead-end jobs, and I was working jobs that had no future, just you know, day jobs and you know, six bucks an hour here and five dollars an hour jobs there, just trying to keep food on the table, keep the bills paid. And uh, I just got to that point where I said, I'm done with this. I'm done. Fine, God. Whatever you want, fine. And all of a sudden, next day, the job calls start coming in. I'm like, really? This could have been a really whole lot easier year if I would have just come to that. But, you know, it's an amazing thing how we try to orchestrate the circumstances of our life. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but I've done that way too much in my life. I've tried to control and tried to do what I wanted to do because that's what I felt like I should do. And uh, when God really wants us to come to Him and uh, simply submit our will to His and our desires to His desires, and it's amazing how often when God says He'll give us the desires of our heart and how much easier that happens when our desires fall in line with His desires for us. You know, when I see life through the same lenses that God has, amazing how much better life is. 
Um, in Psalm chapter 63, really a song about praising God because He is the God who does satisfy. He's the God who does take care of us. It says, God, You are my God. I eagerly seek You. I thirst for You. My body faints for You in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on You in the sanctuary to see Your strength and Your glory. My lips will glorify You because Your faithful love is better than life. I wonder how many of us can truly say that. Could we, as the psalmist says, God, uh, your love is better than life. That's tough sometimes when life isn't so grand from our perspective. And he says, so I'll praise you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. Kind of a taboo in churches, bad hands. Don't go down. We don't worship God as we ought sometimes. And I'm not saying that a prerequisite to worship God is to lift hands. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is sometimes our, our worship is so far from what God is wanting from us. Because we're too busy, worried about everything else in life. He says, <laughs> I will lift up my hands. As if no one else is around, as if no one else matters, I just want to just exalt God. And he goes on, he says, you satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who seek to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over the power of the world. They will become the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. But think of that last phrase. All who swear by him will boast. What do we boast in? Do we boast in who God is and what God has done and what God is doing? Or do we boast in what we have accomplished in our life? There are those out there who would like to destroy, but don't worry about them. God knows what He's doing. It's really a song of praise to God. If you would, then turn your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 17, if you would. In Exodus chapters 15 and 16, we're reminded once again that we all face difficult circumstances. Most likely, none of us have had to stand before tens of thousands, let alone the millions, as Moses did, to listen to everyone's griping and complaining and being blamed for the struggles that they were facing. They were so angry with him that they considered stoning him. You remember that as we talked about that. You know, because their expectations were of such that they wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. And Moses had to remind them over and over that their complaining was not against him, It wasn't against Aaron. It wasn't against any of the leadership. He said, when you complain, you are actually complaining against who? God. So we need to understand that God has something better for us, but what we don't understand is that sometimes what God has for us is not necessarily what we have for us. And oftentimes what God has for us is better than what we have chosen ourselves. So as we continue in our study of Exodus, consider this awesome power that we can find through prayer. And today we're going to see an example of one man's battle that he felt responsible to win and how prayer helped him to win that battle. And uh, hypothetically, what if the outcome of the battle, really any difficult situation that we face, but hypothetically, what if the outcome was up to you? Now, let me say hypothetically because of this one thing. God is a sovereign God who who can do whatever He wants, right? We agree with that. God can do whatever He wants. He doesn't have to get permission for it. He can do whatever He wants, however He chooses to do it, however uh, He wants to do it in the timing that He wants to do it. God is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. 
So we have to ultimately trust God for that and through that. But at the same time, what if the contingency of that victory was on you and what you did or did not do? In some regards, it is on us because God makes it very clear there are some prayers that He will not answer. Is that true? Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So part of that responsibility does fall on me to make sure that my life is walking in accordance with God and what He has for me. And there are times in our lives that when we are living in sin and living the life that we would choose to live apart from God, and then we pray and God says, wait a minute, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm not going to bless your disobedient life. And God says, that is a prayer I will not listen to. Proverbs remind us that if he, he that, re, that hides in iniquity, the God that will not prosper. And the bottom line is that once again, that places the responsibility on the child of God to live a holy and blameless life before Him. So there is some, re, some respect to responsibility being on us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Yet there is the sovereignty of God, and God can work despite our inconsistencies, as we've also seen in the past as well. But hypothetically, what if the outcome of the battle and really any difficult situation you face were on your shoulders? How would you handle that? Um, if you could press on despite being tired, exhausted, despite feeling incapable, despite feeling completely overwhelmed, and uh, were, were able to get through the battle, well, great, everyone would be fine, right? Um, no problems, no worries, no harm done. But what if, on the other hand, you decide that the battle is just too hard? that you're too tired, that it isn't fair that you have to face these things. And besides, why should you have to deal with the battle? What would be, what would be the outcome of that decision? Well, let's look at the story. If you would, once again, Exodus chapter 17, beginning with verse 8. It says that Rephidim, Amalek, came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. And while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. And when Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands one on the one side and on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with a sword. I mean, think about that just for a moment. Right away in verse 8, the Amalekites come to fight against the Israelites and Rephidim. And notice briefly that the Bible doesn't necessarily give us the whys or the how-comes of this battle. You have to understand that sometimes things happen that are beyond our control. There are a lot of times when we wake up in the morning, there are things that happen that we didn't expect, that we didn't plan for, and if we had the opportunity to choose, we would not choose them. They come, and they come sometimes unexpectedly. And here's the situation that Moses is standing here, and all of a sudden the Amalekites are coming against him, and the battle is on. And there's choices to be made here. So it would seem that the children of Israel were minding their own business, so to speak, as they were all of a sudden attacked. And interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18, it tells us the true nature of the Amalekites. They were cowards. They were cowards. Yet in their state of mind, they attacked Moses 
and the children of Israel. But Moses finds himself in a difficult position here. And there's chaos everywhere. What, were you, what would you do if you were in his sandals, just for a moment? We've asked that question a lot throughout this series about the book of Exodus. What, were you, what would you do if you were in his sandals? Listening to the griping, listening to the complaining, over and over and over again, nonstop, not just hundreds of people, not just thousands of people, but hundreds of thousands of people, and they're all griping and complaining, and, and Moses is really not on their favorite person list at the moment. They wanted to stone him, and he's got to lead them. And now, all of a sudden, as if things weren't bad enough, if things were not organized enough, chaos is in place, and the Amalekites are attacking. Anybody want to wear his sandals? Not me. He's in a difficult situation here. Would you respond in faith and obedience? Or would you turn tail and run and give up? I'll give you a point of interest. This seems to be when Satan likes to attack when you least expect him to. I don't know about you, but I found that in my life too. You don't expect Satan to attack when things are going well. Is that true? When things are going well, you just kind of expect things to keep going well. Because that's what we want out of life, is for things to go well. I don't know about you, but it, it seems that Satan fights when you're at your weakness. When you're ready to give in. When you're ready to throw in the towel. When you least expect it, Satan is there to attack. And we need to remember verses like 1 Peter 5 eight: Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about seeking whom he may devour. You cannot say that as a child of God that Satan is not on the attack. That he's not there. And neither, on the other hand, can we say that Satan's in everything. But we need to be vigilant. We need to be on guard, so to speak, to understand that Satan does want to attack. And he's going to do it at the moment, at the moment that we least expect it. And in Ephesians chapter 6, if I could turn there just for a moment, just read a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord. Verse 10 here. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore. I mean, just think about that. He says stand. We're not to turn tail and run because we have to know that Satan is going to attack. He's going to be there to discourage you, to frustrate you. And the bottom line is, you can't just give in. But here's what I want you to understand this morning, and we'll do this quickly. Six observations of Moses while facing the battle. Six observations of Moses while facing the battle. Um, first of all is verse 9 and 10. Back in our text here, Exodus chapter 17, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 says this once again. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to face, or I went up to the top of the hill. The first observation I want you to understand from the text here is this: Moses' mind was made up. You notice he didn't stand there and say, "I wonder what I should do." And in today's vernacular, he didn't pick up his cell phone, call his buddies and say, well, hey, I'm in this situation, what do you think I ought to do? The bottom line is, his mind was made up. 
And if we're going to win the battle, you better face or make up your mind that you're going to face it head on. And you realize in the armor that, that we just read about, you know the only part of the body that is not protected? Did you catch it? The back. You know why that is? I don't believe that God would have us to run from problems. And when Satan is attacked, he doesn't attack, he doesn't want us to run from it. Don't turn tail and run. You face your opposition. He didn't hesitate. He didn't walk away from the adversity. He had faith. And can I just tell us all as a reminder in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, for whatever whoever does not proceed out of faith is what? Sin. The bottom line is we ought to face our difficulties with faith, knowing that God's in control. And we've asked this question, we've shared this illustration a million times over the last several years. The bottom line is, if God is sovereign, and we know He is, could not God in our own lives allow us to be averted from the struggles that come in our lives? Yes. If God didn't want us to face the struggles, He could have allowed them not to become part of our life and the deals that we face. But oftentimes, God allows them to teach us the lessons. He allows them so that we might place our faith and dependency on Him rather than on ourselves and our own strength and our own might. So we need to increase our faith. We need to trust God, knowing that He's in control. Now think about this. We asked this a couple weeks ago. Remember the griping and the complaining that was going on. They got out in the, in the wilderness ashore, and what did they want? I mean, a three days journey, they're into the wilderness. It's a dry, arid desert place. Is it too much to ask for a simple water? Well, the question comes to mind. If God wanted them to have some nice cups of water, wouldn't He have led them there? Isn't that a probable thought? You understand what I'm saying? If God wanted them to have it, He would have given it to them. But what we find out is that God did give it to them in His timing. God is a God who knows what He's doing. And just because we have expectations, and let me just say this, the way to avoid un- uh, avoid uh, unfulfilled expectations is through trusting God. Either God's in control or He's not. It's really that simple. If I have expectations and they're not being met, I have to wonder, where is my focus? Is it on me or is it on what God's trying to do in my life? The way to avoid unfulfilled expectations is to completely place your faith and trust in God. And to know that He's in control. So here we find in this, in verses 9 and 10, that Moses' mind was made up. Find some guys, and we're going to go take them on. Bottom line is, we're not playing games here. And we find out in Deuteronomy 25 that they were really a bunch of cowards, the Amalekites were. But we're going to face them. He didn't hesitate. He didn't walk away from the adversity. He headed straight into it, and God was with him. The second observation is this. Moses believed that God would grant the victory. How do I know that? Verse 9, once again. Says tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. He didn't do it in his own strength. He didn't do it in his own power, his own might, his own ability. He didn't see that he had a powwow amongst the you know the most powerful leaders of the children of Israel and say, "Wow, I wonder what we should do here." He said, "Tomorrow we're going to stand up, and God's staff is going to be in my hand, and tomorrow we're going to get the victory." He believed that God would grant the victory. Can I just say this? Why do we take the time to pray to God if we don't believe that God's going to answer in some way, shape, or form? That's why he says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If I don't pray with faith, believing, and expecting God to do something, 
why do I bother really praying? Because it really just says, and it screams out, God, I don't really believe you're going to do it, but I'm going to throw this Hail Mary prayer anyway. It doesn't work that way. Now, can I say the caveat to that is this. Is sometimes we want God to answer our way. And the bottom line is, that's why we say, Father, your will be done, not my own. And that's why we learn from reading through the different prayers in Scripture that there, is, there are some things that God wants us to pray. We don't pray amiss. The bottom line is we don't pray in vain. The bottom line is we bring it before God because He wants us to. And as we do that, God in His infinite wisdom will answer according to His justice and His grace and His mercy. But if I don't pray in faith, it says, He that comes to God in Hebrews 11, He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a what? Rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So the bottom line is what that means is I pray once and if I don't get my way, I just kind of stop, right? But isn't that our nature? I mean, because after all, I waited to the last minute and I got this situation that's overwhelming and all of a sudden I need God to show up right now. And our emergency demands God to answer immediately. And sometimes God, but oftentimes God's like, oh, wait a minute. This picture is bigger than what you can see. And God's in the background working in a scenario that we can't yet see. And we've seen that throughout the whole book of Exodus. Starting way back in Genesis 48, 49, 50. Preparing Joseph to someday lead the children to where they needed to be. But Moses believed that God would grant the victory. So when we go to God, we have to believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I believe that God's in control. He's going to do what God does best, and that's His perfect will. And I'm going to trust Him for that. And Moses believed that God would grant the victory. That's the second observation. The third observation is this. Moses knew that his prayer would be effective. You see that in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. What did they do up there? They... What is our instinct when we go through the difficult times? What is our instinct? We've talked about this a little bit because we see this pattern in the life of the children of Israel. How do we, how do we handle the circumstances of life? Do we instinctively go to God in prayer? I will not, I refuse to stand up here as a perfect example and say, well, I pray every time. I'm human like you guys are. You cut me, I bleed red like all of you. I want it to be my first instinct. But far too often it is not. I want immediately when we face those moments of insecurity, those moments of, I wonder what I should do next, and, you know, they're indecisions that, that, are, that, that are right before us, and, or, we, or we catch ourselves in a moment of indecision, we're wondering what we should do. And also we're faced with a situation that's difficult and hard to handle. We're not sure what to do. What is our instinct? Hopefully we learn through years of experience, through years of opportunities, that God is there for us. And our instinct would be go to Him and to know that He hears us and that our prayer would be effective because the bottom line is God is a God who does care, who does answer, who does listen. And we see a fourth observation here. In verses 11 through 13 it says this. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hand grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him. 
And he sat down on it. Then Aaron and her supported his hands, one on the one side and one on the other, so that his hand remained steady until the sun went down. And then verse 13. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. The fourth observation is there that Moses learned that he couldn't face the task alone. This is a huge observation for all of us to learn in this room this morning. We are oftentimes a people who are lone, range, lone rangers. And because we're lone rangers, we're lone strangers. Think about it. We as men do what we do because that's what we do. We don't want to admit that we have a struggle. We don't want to admit that we can't handle it on our own. We don't want to admit that this is really too big for us to face. So we go forward, even if it's the wrong direction, trying to handle problems ourselves. Most of us as men have faced it sometime in our life or another. We are lone rangers. And let me just say this. You should be a man and take up stuff when you have to. Be a man. Attack when you need to attack. Don't be a pacifist. Don't just sit back and say, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. You need to stand up and be a man, guys. But you also need to understand, you cannot face life battles alone. You need other guys. Um, I asked this question to my wife the other day. Or I made this observation to my wife the other day. I know men who, if they were six miles down the road and their car ran up into a snowbank, they have no one they can call. Say, why, why does that matter? Do you have friends? Do you have somebody that you can call on? Do you have somebody that you can say, hey, I need your help? If not, you need to find them. Not just for physical things, but spiritually as well. You need men that will encourage you when you're down. You need men who will tell you the truth when you don't want to hear it. You need men, guys, who will tell you to man up when you need to man up. You need men who will tell you the truth when you don't want to listen to it. Because that's what's right. And that's why God's Word says, iron sharpens iron. We need men. And guys, that's why I encourage you constantly, come to Bible study, get to know men, get to know men that you can call on, men who will pray for you, men who will stand with you in difficult times. Moses learned that he could not face the task alone. That is a huge lesson to learn. So what happened here? We see the situation. His weak, his legs were weak. You ever been there, guys? You ever been tired? Been weak? Ladies, you ever been weak? What do you do? You sat down. But he didn't sit alone. There's a Aaron and her went along with him. Here's an interesting fact here. Moses is not as dumb as some of us may think he was. He was trained in the palace of the king. He was educated by, I'm sure, some of Egypt's best on a secular note. But one thing that he observed as he was up on top of the hill with the staff of God in his he realized that while his hands were up, they prevailed in the battle. But when his hands were weary and they came down, Amalek prevailed in the battle. We win, we're losing. We're winning, we're losing. What would you do? I think I'd find a way to get my hands up there. 
you think he did this on his own? I mean, Moses is that brilliant that he says, ah, I got it. Thank you, God, for giving me wisdom. I got this. I, I don't think it was like that. I think Moses had seen God work enough times in his life to realize that even though he didn't know what was going to come next, he knew that God was going to be there. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know he is. And once again, God said way back in the beginning of the book of Exodus, I have seen your hardship, I've heard your cries by reason of your taskmasters, and he said, I am here to what? To deliver you to bring you out of this land, to bring you into a land that flows of milk and honey. I mean, did God really bring them this far just to stop? Because God wasn't done yet. God's still got a work that he's doing. And I think Moses had seen God do enough to know that he was going to see him through the battle. But he realized he could not do it alone. And at this point, Moses and Aaron come up. And one on one side, one on the other, they sit him on the stone. And one holds up one hand, one holds up the other. So that Moses, in his own strength, when he, was in, when he was without strength, didn't have to worry about keeping his hands up himself. It's amazing, isn't it? That simple observation. Hands up, we win. Hands down, we lose. Hands up, we're fighting for it. Hands down, we've given up. Aaron and Hurt. But you know what Moses had to do? He had to let him help. Guys, you need to let some guys help you from time to time. Guys, I'm preaching to you just for a moment. You need to let guys help you. You need it. Nothing wrong with trying to work hard. Nothing wrong with putting the effort out. But you must realize that life is too difficult to handle by yourself. You need the help and encouragement of another. I love some of the guys in our church. I love all the guys, but it's just amazing to me how God has allowed over the last four years to have friendships to be developed that at any point I can call certain people for a certain help. And likewise, you can call me in and we help one another. Isn't that the way it should be in the body of Christ? Isn't it? We miss the blessings when we isolate ourselves. Can I just say that? When you're not at men's Bible study, is it just that my teaching is just so incredibly awesome you cannot miss it? No! It's time together. Encouraging one another. And fellowshipping together. And talking about life together. And seeing what God's doing in our lives together. There's not a one of us that's... What's the word? That God can't part with? No. There's not a one of us that's just, you know, that, that God just can't, you know, go on without us. But together, God uses all of us to encourage one another and to fulfill His will. Fifth observation, verses 14 through 16. Moses was reminded afresh of how great God is. Look at these verses. The Lord then said to Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a what? Reminder. And recite it to Joshua, 
I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. Now think about this just for a moment. Moses was reminded afresh of how great God is. When God works, it's just another reminder of God's faithfulness to me. When God answers prayer, it's another reminder of an opportunity to tell someone else what God is doing. Praise. <laughs> we get pretty excited at some of the baseball games, football games, basketball games. How excited do we get when God answers prayer? How excited do we get when God shows up? I'm amazed at God. I, just lately, it's just, just when you think, okay, God, what are we going to do in this situation? God shows up. Numerous times for me in the last several weeks. No one else may see it, but I see it. I see God doing something else. Another answered prayer. Um, just a couple times in the last couple weeks, I prayed to God, I need you to do this. Please. And God did it. And I'm sitting there going, I don't deserve this. And I don't know about you, but I feel like Paul sometimes. I feel like sometimes as Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I look at my life and I say, man, I'm so far from where I should be. Anyone else feel that way? Because only you realize it only takes a millisecond to sin. A millisecond to have that wrong thought. To want to slap somebody who's just being dumb. Because they're not perfect like you are. A millisecond. I know how frail I am. I know how fleshly I am. I know how selfish I am. I know how many times in my 20 years of marriage I've looked at my wife and said, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do that again. And an hour later, I will run my mouth. And guys, lest you laugh, you're the same way. I've heard it. Most of you. We are selfish, fleshly people. I'm just remember, I need those reminders of how great God is and His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. And then I pray and I say, Lord, I need you to give me wisdom for this and I need this provision and I need... And I say, God, I know you can. And He does it. And I'm humbled by the very fact that God would choose to bless despite my sinfulness. And Moses was reminded afresh and anew of how great God is. Did they deserve the victory? Did they deserve to win just because they were who they were? I mean, were they just that incredibly indispensable that they, I mean, just God had to do it? No. Because it wasn't about them. Just like it's not about you and I. And it never will be. If God provides land for the Boonsters, it's not because they're just incredibly awesome people. Although I believe they are. It's so that God can bring glory to Himself through what He does. And that's what God does in all of our lives. He does what He does to bring glory to Himself. And we need those reminders of how great God is. These observations. So Moses, first of all, was reminded first observation that Moses' mind was made up. Secondly, Moses believed that God would grant the victory. 
Number three, Moses knew that his prayer would be effective. Number four, Moses learned that he couldn't face the test alone. Number five, Moses was reminded afresh and anew how great God is. And then number six, Moses was reminded that God wants to work and that we need to pray. See that at the bottom of verse 16 says, He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. God was, God was at work. He's reminded that God was at work. But what did he need to do? He needed to pray and keep his hands lifted towards heaven. Is there ever a time that our hands would just be down and say, well, God's got this one in the bag, so it doesn't matter what I do. No. God wants us to keep close to him. God wants us to keep, uh, in everything that we do, to stay close and just to, to keep our trust and our faith and, and our, our, our focus on him. So what can we learn about facing difficult battles? These difficult situations that God allows in our life. I think there's three things that come to my mind. Pray, trust, and wait. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 29, I just want to read the verse. It says, Moses said to him, When I have left the city, I will extend my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know the earth belongs to Yahweh. That's just one of numerous verses that we have shared throughout this series. But what's he saying here? The world belongs to him. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we can do, if we have any blessings there, it all extends from him. And the world will know that I am Yahweh, he says. First Samuel chapter one. Let's read just a couple of verses here. We're almost through. First Samuel chapter one. Verses 9 through 11 says this. Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember not and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. This is a simple commitment here. He says, God, what you give me, I will give back. When God does bless, when God does answer prayer, do we extend praise back to him? Do we bring glory back to him? Or is it, oh, look what happened. Look what I got. Look what God did. And kind of flippantly forget about it. These are opportunities when God does show up and God does answer prayer and God does reveal himself in great ways, to turn around and say, God, this is because of you. In every situation, it is always about him. Do we pray? Do we trust? Do we wait on him? And do we bring glory back to him? One more couple of verses I want to just read in Second Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 through 9. There's a prayer of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard. He said, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? 
And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary, and in it for your name have in it for your name, and have said, If disaster comes on us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and before you, and your name is in the temple, and we will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. Isn't that awesome? Their confidence was in who? Who is it in? Their confidence was not in themselves. Can I just remind us all this morning that there's not a one of us in this room this morning that can handle life on our own. You need God. And you better hope and trust and find that that's the only place your focus and faith needs to be because He will deliver. I don't know about you, but I need these reminders. That he's an awesome, powerful God. And he can do far more than I ask or imagine. Because he's God. And can I just say this in closing? Some of you, if you're honest this morning, are kind of like going through some circumstances. If you could say it this way, kind of like in Moses' shoes, you've got decisions to make. God's at work. I'm not sure what he's doing. But you need God to show up. You're like Moses. You need God to just really reveal himself. And I find that Moses made up his mind. He's going forward. You sit back and you can rub your hands and twiddle your thumbs and wait. Or you can go forward with confidence knowing that God's in control. But you're like Moses. Difficult situations, you need God to show up. And can I also say this? Some of you need to step up and be an Aaron or a her. Some of you men need to step up. Some of you ladies need to step up to the plate. You're going through life alone because life is okay in your little world. But somebody needs you to step up and to hold their hands up. Are you going to do it? Men, are you going to stand up and hold another man's hands up? No. Moses, let it be known. You guys, find you some men and get up there. How did the men know? Moses had to open his mouth and say something. Guys, you're going through a difficult time, you need to open your mouth and say something. You don't have to face the life alone. That's the principle for all of us, men and ladies. And when that decree goes out, guys, ladies, will you be an Aaron? Will you be a her? And say, we're going to see you through this. I'm going to hold your hand up. I'm going to stand beside you until we get through this. God is the one that will be glorified in you. Because it's He alone that gives us the strength and the wherewithal to get the victory. But when we work together, more is accomplished. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, would you work in our hearts this morning first?
few moments. Lord, would you help us to pray, to trust, to wait, to praise you through this life that you've given to us, Lord. Help us not to go it alone. Help us not to give up in pity or despair or frustration or fatigue, but to go forward with confidence, knowing that you're there with us. Lord, I don't know everybody in this congregation. I don't know everybody, what they're going through, what they might be facing. But I know that you're a powerful, awesome God. And you can help with everything. And whether they're a Moses facing some difficult circumstances or whether they're Aaron and her and can encourage another through the difficulty, I pray, God, that our minds would be made up. We're not going to sit back idle alone doing our own thing. Would you work in our hearts this morning?